With a closer look at the news and events affecting Prince George, welcome to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. Good morning and welcome to After 9. I'm your host, Eric Allen. And our panel today is... Uh, oh, he's going to Herb Martin. He's going to, Herb's going to be at home because he's still a little under the weather. And uh, then in the, the studio we have Peter Ewart and James Steidel. Steedle, Steidel. And uh, so we got a plate full of uh, things we're going to talk about today, and uh, none of them good, I don't think, and not, certainly not in my estimation. We're going to start off with Herb and the projecting the city, Prince George proje- projecting a 7.22 tax height in, height in 2023. This could be the old, uh, you know, Ask for $10, and if you get five, you figure you won. So if they're asking for 7.2, maybe if they get four, they'll figure that they won. I don't know. But if it is, I'm getting kind of tired of that game. Uh, they should be asking for what they need, and then we can sort of discuss that and go down the road with it. So you want to take that away, Herb? Uh, yeah, sure. The, um, I guess the, the biggest thing I, you know, I guess everyone's sort of, this because last year they, they hemmed and they hawed for a, a long time before they finally decided they could find some some cash to cover the expenses. So uh, it was kind of just a matter of time before they come back and look for, for more money. But the uh, they're going to have a couple of um, uh, more meetings, I guess January 30th and February 1st, and, uh, and consider more all the other options, uh, including uh, using some... Um, uh, COVID money to address uh, revenue shortfalls, but um, you know, I, I, I guess it really it, it irks me, especially on on top of the uh, the, the news last week that um, there was uh, the city had sold uh, a, a city property to a developer for uh, less than market value, um, that the developer hadn't um, uh, basically maintained the conditions of that agreement. And that the city had the right to buy it back for less than less than the purchase price, um, and that uh, instead that the city had rezoned that that property uh, to a to a point where the the developer bought it for five hundred thousand dollars. It's now worth three point two million dollars, and all the developer's done is uh, basically take take all the uh, clear the land, and. Um, you know, it's it's time the um, the city starts taking some initiative here. Uh, it, 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 the 7.2 uh, uh, tax increase basically would be covered if the by by the increase in that uh, in the value of that property. And in fact, if the city wanted to um, uh, develop it themselves, they could. They're, they're looking at potentially 60 building sites. Um, Worth uh, somewhere in the mid neighborhood of one hundred and fifty thousand dollars per site. Uh, that's you're looking at nine million bucks. Now, obviously, there's some costs involved in developing the sites, but that that, that would if the city had showed some some sort of initiative here, uh, it looks like easily the uh, the cost of the uh, potential tax increase would be covered. And well, uh, it would be, but it's uh, it's not. Uh you know, municipalities don't sell land to get money to uh, hold a line on taxes or something. They sell land to developers or whatever, and then they get in on it and do the building, create the jobs, and that type of thing. 
So I can understand that they're not doing it. But what they do do, like as an example, uh, with the new uh, police station on Victoria Street, where they were more than willing to pay with interest over 25 years, $83 million, and tear down the old one and throw it in the dump, um, I asked the question of, uh, you know, before they tore it down, quite a few years before that, that what they're going to do with the old one. And I said, well, we'll sell it, and we'll take the revenue from that sale to offset the cost of the new one. Well, they didn't do that. They tore it down, like I said, and threw it in a dump. And uh, and so none of that, and that's an empty lot there now that they've got plans for. So I think that they just told me a, a story. I had no intention of ever applying that money to the new police station. And the same thing happened on the, the new office buildings on uh, 18th and Quinn. He asked the question, well, you know, you got brand new three million or four million office buildings here. What are you going to do with the old building down on Fourth Avenue? Oh well, you know, we'll sell or we'll lease that out, and the, the revenue we get from that will go to offset the cost of the building on Eighteenth and Quinn. But never heard any more about it. No documentation. No nothing saying they actually did that. It goes into a big black hole called general revenue, and who knows where it goes. And now we're into this tax thing, and one of the the. Uh, items in the uh, newspaper is that you know maybe this increase could go towards or it might have to go towards snow snow removal now they always throw that in because they know that people are not happy if something goes wrong with snow removal but if you look at your tax bill we have a one line item that's specifically for money for snow removal and the years where we didn't spend that much, instead of, uh, you know, accumulating money for snow removal, they took the money out and spent it on something else. Now they're talking about a tax increase, might have to use it for snow removal. Either they don't know that they already have it on their tax bill, or the guy at the citizen didn't know or something. But I'm confused, and I, and I thought I knew what was going on. So I'm going to just pass this over to uh, Peter, and then we'll go to James, and we'll kick it around a bit. Uh, yeah, Eric. Uh, you know what both you and Herb are saying. It, you know, makes uh, makes sense in the sense that uh, the, there has to be other options that rather than you know, like this is just the easy sort of thing to say. Okay, we're going to slap a uh, seven point two two percentage hike in taxes in in the in the coming year and and so on. So. Um, there's other options clearly available, you know, in different ways, right? And uh, uh, I think that the pressure has to be on the on the city council and the city management is to find the, uh, find out these other ways. Don't just uh, uh, you know come along and slap uh, slap attacks on people right now who are already uh, you know hurting majorly from the rise of the. the inf- inflation rate that's going up all the time the interest rates on houses and and so on so then this comes along down the pike right and uh i i don't think uh it's a it's a good way to go to just uh you know succumb to that and just say okay well our our solution is just simply to raise taxes there has to be other ways of uh looking at things and the the demand has to be uh on the city staff and, and city hall to find these other ways 
Yeah, I agree 100%. And I don't think they're searching very hard right now because the way that it's been working over the years works really well for a, you know, a certain group of people. And why, so why would you change it? But uh, we'll get into uh, some of the ramifications of you know, doing it that way later on in the show. Right now, I just want to work with this tax thing. Uh, James, you got uh, something you want to say on that? Yeah, I got I got tired of accounting on, on my road, but, uh, you know, the latest count, I think there's been a few more passes. Uh, they, they did five passes on on my road. And this is a rural road. You know, there's not very many houses on my street uh, with the snowplow. Uh, and, you know, I've, my driveway, I've only had to plow my driveway once. So I'm not sure why we're, we're but somewhere between five and ten passes. Uh, after that first snow snow plow, they they hit it twice with the plow, and then the sanding truck, and then they come down with the uh, the, the front end loaders, and they sculpt everybody's uh, driveways, which is you know because a lot of people are complaining about getting some snow on their driveway after they they plowed it. I mean, this is a huge cost to the city. Uh, I didn't see exactly what the uh, the budget. I mean, if we're doing a seven percent tax increase, you know, out of a hundred and sixty million dollar budget, what are we looking at? Thirteen more million bucks a year. Is what our operating cost is for the for the city. I mean, this is just a lot of bad decisions. I think coming home to roost, and nobody's taking the hard decisions or the hard calls on how to get costs under control. I mean, snow out of control snow removal is one thing, and I understand there's some union issues there. You've got guys uh, that are uh, you know that they 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 hire on to to do this work, and and we need to have these people on on standby when you got a big snow plow and I guess to keep them busy in the meantime we got to do a bunch of unnecessary plowing so I don't know maybe there's a better way to to keep people uh, busy that's more productive that could reduce costs in other ways uh, the other thing that I, I talk about from time to time is the the, mo- the lawn mowing in the summer and this is just a little thing but you know they this year I counted they mowed uh, Foothills Boulevard uh, I think four or five times before June 1st and uh, during the election there they had a uh, budget meeting there about they needed to buy some new lawnmowers. These things are hundred thousand dollars a piece, and uh, the budget had go, had to go up at a thirty grand, thirty or fifty grand or something because of inflation. So you know we're we're just uh, we're not being smart with our money. I think we're we're being we're going for I don't know status and looks and and uh, you know as opposed to being reasonable with our money. Like who cares if the grass is a little longer? Yeah, I think you're right, Herb. You got something you want to add to that? Well, just uh, you know, you you're, you're, you um, sort of mentioned that the city is not in the business of developing lots, but at, at one point the city actually did auction off city lots, and I think that's uh, you 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 had told me that story. I think. Yeah, no, no, no. I, uh, they can they can develop the lots and then put them up for auction, and we can bid on them, and the upset price is what they sell for, and I, and I think that that's they should be seriously thinking of going back to that deal what i'm saying is if a private person owns property it's not the city's place to go in there and try to tell him how to do, how to develop that property or what to put on it or le- levy penalties on them uh, for whatever reason private property is private property we certainly don't want government to get any more involved in our lives because we'll get into that later in the show too what can happen uh, we've gone way too far down that road already so well, Except that you know the deal on this uh, on this lot was that uh, the developer had two years to start construction, and if they didn't, they they would forfeit the or the the city could buy the the, the property back. That was in the contract. Yeah, and, and, I, and, and I the think, city is not just, pursuing that. If I could just interject there, I think what happened there is he's probably gone back to the city, 
And he said, you know, this is a situation. And I said, well, okay, we're going to look at it. Maybe we can change the zoning or maybe something can happen. I'm sure they've had a discussion on it. And then we got the the end result of those discussions. And then we start building a story around it because the city never told us what actually happened. And and then if you ask them, they say, well, you know, that's land dealings between the people and it's closed meeting and we can't tell you. So the misinformation or the lack of information causes us more grief than anything. So we might want to have a look at that and see if we can change uh, what's going on or, or put a, a, a time limit on how long that uh, information remains uh, confidential. So do you want to go for a break here now? Uh, no. Uh, so we're still going good. So go ahead, Herb. Uh, yeah, I just, uh, you know, I don't want to stick with this too long, but, um, uh, you know, when when, when the, the contract with the developer includes the provision that the, the city would take it back if they did not, did not go through with the, uh, the project, then, you know, probably that, that contract should be honored. And, uh, and the city should, you know, basically take a hard line. And you know you're not you're not doing anyone any favors if you keep giving rolling over for these developers. Yeah, but you're not. If you think about it for a moment, obviously they went from student housing to seniors housing. So he has full intentions of going ahead, full intention to develop the property and building apartments. They're just not student apartments; they're seniors apartments. So that's where I think they came to some kind of an agreement. So we're going to uh, shoot on this one now because we want to get into this homeless situation. And all the uh, bad publicity that Prince George is getting. I'm going to let Peter start off with that one. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, the latest sort of thing in terms of, uh, of negative news about uh, how uh, you know the the city of Prince George has handled the homeless thing is uh, uh, a case study report uh, that's been put out. It just came out this morning uh, from Joe Hermer of the University of Toronto, who did a human rights analysis of encampments in Canada. And uh, one of the ones that uh, it was looked at was uh, uh, the, the Prince George example. And uh, I haven't had a chance to go through the whole thing, but I, uh, I just got it a, a few minutes ago. But uh, w w the conclusion of this uh, report is uh, uh, the actions of the city of Prince, I'm quoting, with regard to homeless encampments and their general policing and social control approach that include the Safe Streets Bylaw amount to a gross violation of the principles embedded in international human rights law. And um, further on, it talks about uh, that uh, uh, Prince George, the Prince George encampment, along with the uh, the encampment that was uh, bulldozed in Fort McMurray. The, the the quote is: They both have been victimized by what Jordan Ranger Strauss has called quote, municipal colonialism, a process used to remove indigenous people that were seen as having no rightful place in the modern city. But anyway, this is a national report. And, uh, uh, you know, when I, I think about these things and, you know, like this is, uh, you know, like a, a, a black eye for the city in that way, right? Uh, uh, we have to start thinking about uh, the uh, you know some positive things that can be moved forward and uh, one of the things I think that's important is there's a whole number of people uh, city council city, the, the city uh, agencies indigenous organizations and, uh, and and so on that are involved in the, the homeless issue what we need to do at this time is to have a common front 
a common front to approach the province. Right now, David Eby, the new premier, is focusing, he's making a priority, uh, the, the, the housing issue and the homeless issue and, you know, looking for solutions. By having a common front, we could do the same thing that we did with the uh, Northern Health Program, right? We brought had that huge uh, uh, rally in uh, in Prince George and the uh, multiplex and, and so on, which created results. We got the Northern Health Program. What we need now is a united front up here that uh, puts forth uh, some clear demands to the province, which has a whole bunch of money right now in terms of excess and budgetary f- funding. So this is the time to do it. Okay, Peter, we're going to go to a break, and then we'll come back and uh, finish that off. There's a river of birds in migration, a nation of women with wings. Wings, a series of news and current affairs programs by and about women around the world. Produced and distributed by the Women's International News Gathering Service. Listen for Wings at its new time, Wednesday nights at 9.30, here on 93.1 CFIS-FM. Is your small business ready to meet the economic challenges ahead? Do you have a clear vision to move your nonprofit forward? We can help. Hi, it's Norm Adams here from Pivot Leader, inviting you to join Dave Fuller and I December the 14th for our fifth annual Strategic Planning Day. If you're a small business or nonprofit leader, join us Wednesday, December 14th at the Prince George Golf and Curling Club for our fifth annual Strategic Planning Day. For more details, visit us at pivotleader.com. We look forward to seeing you then. Children are back to school and the weather is turning cooler. Time to make your appointment at Tops and Bottoms. Find your well-fitting, supportive and beautiful underwear in our store at Second and Victoria. We are here to help make your shopping experience a victory. Schedule a fitting appointment with your service expert online at topsandbottoms.ca or call 250-614-1553. Tops and Bottoms, continued support for the women of Prince George. Forecast from Environment Canada, mainly cloudy with a 60% chance of flurries this morning, a snow beginning later this morning. Wind at the 15K, I've minus 12, a wind chill this afternoon to minus 19. More snow tonight, a low of minus 14. For Tuesday, snow ending in the morning, then mainly cloudy with a 40% chance of flurries, snow beginning again in the afternoon, wind at the 15K, a high of minus 12 with an afternoon wind chill to minus 18. Keeping you up to date on current news and events in and around Prince George. This is After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. Okay, we're back, and uh, this is quite an issue. And, uh, you know, for all the good works that a lot of people in town have done over the years to uh, promote Prince George and get tourists to come here, whatever, whatever, this is uh, a really bad, bad, bad situation. We're going to get bad and negative uh, news all over, I mean, all over the world, I guess. Maybe people come to town to see how not to do something. I don't know, but it's it's just a terrible situation. And uh, James, do you want to just touch on that? Well, I don't know if Prince George is unique, really. I mean, maybe maybe how we dealt with uh, Mox and Flats is unique, but I mean, you go to places like terrorists and... Uh, Quenell and you know Fort St. John. There, like we don't we don't have to talk about uh, the downtown east side in Vancouver. I mean, it's getting terrible, and the, the homeless crisis is is just out of hand. And you know, I I, I briefly glanced at that uh, that PG Citizen um, article that came out yesterday there, and I I haven't had a chance to read the report, 
But, but I think one, one of the things here is that people don't recognize, I think, the frustration of local businesses and local residents of this town. And that, that anger and frustration is huge. You see that in the comments of that article. I mean, there's, there's quite a few comments, a lot of passion about there. And, and I think we've got a, you know, I think it's, it's one thing to talk about what the city did, uh, that was illegal and, and broke the law. But I mean, I think we got to talk about uh, how to solve this problem because something's got to be done. I mean, people are, are moving their businesses out of downtown. Uh, this, this undermines the whole project. I think that the city's got to prioritize, which is to develop a really vibrant, dense, healthy community downtown. And, you know, and all these businesses are going to the outskirts. And then we got to cut down more trees and just keep moving out. And we're just going to abandon downtown. That's what's happening. And when we've got to immediately turn us around. Yeah. Um, well, I, I agree with that, but the thing is, you know, we've had this problem in uh, Brazil, and when they're putting highways across Brazil, and they were shooting pygmies and uh, whatever because it was important to put these highways in or whatever, and so we just bulldoze people and throw them aside. They have them in India, different places, and just take their land and throw them in the river. They don't care. It shouldn't be happening here. And these people that are complaining about the downtown have had businesses downtown here for 50 years. And the question is, what have they done about it? You know, and and what are they going to do about it? All we do is turn around to the city hall and say, fix this problem. The city hall says, it's not our responsibility. It's a provincial responsibility. Province says, well, we'll get around to it when we get around to it. And we're back at square one again. We see this every day. I talked about this three or four months ago. I said, you know, or three or four years ago, that if you if you get caught up in red tape and the fact that the government says they got no money, you're not going to get anything done. And that's where we are now. All of a sudden, Edie's got some money because I didn't know this until this controversy started. He's got 5 to $10 billion that he has to spend in the next four months where it goes to pay down the debt. So we're going to get money, and that project on First Avenue is going to get started again, I'm sure, because they probably held it up just so they could give money to it, and he would be the guy to give it instead of Horgan. And there's lots of politics going around in the back that we don't know about. Ten billion dollars sitting there, and and now they're going to spend it. They got a, uh, a five billion dollar surplus came out of the blue. That's how it was described. Mm-hmm. Out of the blue, I'd like to know where that blue is. We could go and pick up some for ourselves. So, Herb, you want to comment on that? Well, I, I think, uh, look, someone's got to start looking at uh, City Hall and um, uh, and really, uh, you know, do an analysis of what went wrong because so many things went wrong. I mean, Moccasin Flats was bulldozed after uh, court order not to do it. Uh, after, uh, you know, prior experiences in Abbotsford and Victoria where they tore down homeless camps, and uh, they were told that was illegal down there. And that, that was, I think, uh, Abbotsford was almost 10 years ago now. So, you know, people who, who should have known, like Walter Babich, uh, the, uh, uh, the uh, what is he, city, city manager. manager yeah. yeah, and, you know, he's, he's actually got uh, illegal training. He worked as a lawyer before he worked for the city of Prince George and um, in, a, in a local law firm. I mean, you know, he should have known better. And, um, uh, you know, maybe uh, maybe it's time to look for another city manager. I mean, he's had uh, two years on the job. and um, uh, But he's been in City Hall for 18 years. So let's, you know, let's put the whole story out there. Okay. He's been there since uh, 2008. 
um, but not as uh, a city manager. He's been a city manager for the last two years. No, but he was so, he, he was the city clerk. He, if if anybody knows anything about what's going on at City Hall, Babbage knows. And uh, and if we're going to get rid of him and go out and hire some greenhorn, when we've already got basically half a greenhorn council and a new mayor, and now we're going to get a new city manager, we may as well just pack it up and move to Quinell. Well, but if you if you keep on doing the same thing over and over again without uh, uh, without changing and expecting different results, you know that's that's the uh, definition of insanity. And uh, well, that's so what we do. That's what we do that. with developments. We keep doing them over and over again, and uh, and as soon as we finish one, we go and start another. And we've got developments going all over the city. It's costing us hundreds of millions of dollars, and I guess we're all insane. Well. I mean, it's starting to look that way. <laughs> I'm not disagreeing with you. <laughs> so, you want to say something there, Peter? Uh, no, just to reiterate it, right? Uh, what we need is a is a united front, right? Whether it's uh, as Herb was talking about local businesses, the, the agencies. There's all, there's all kinds of agencies that work here that have good ideas, right? People are serious, try, trying to solve this problem. Uh, indigenous organizations are uh, important, uh, very important to be involved in this whole thing. So th- this is a time like we 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 know what the problem are and and what is the wrong way to do things. Let's look at some uh, steps forward. Take this opportunity to uh, present a united front to the province to to get some real uh, solutions here on the ground. Okay, we're going to take a break here, and then uh, we'll come back and have another go at her. On October 31st, just before 3 a.m., the Prince George RCMP detained three suspects at a gas station on the 1700 block off of Highway 97. The suspects had been traveling in a speeding vehicle and were discovered in the possession of guns, drugs, and a large quantity of cash. The three were released without charge pending full results of a continuing investigation. If you have any information with this or any other criminal offense, please contact the RCMP at 250-561-1300. If you're the parent of a very young person and you're looking for a handy entertainment option, check out Storytime and Baby Time at either branch of the library. There are three sessions of Storytime for children 0 to 5 years at the downtown branch, starting at 10.15 on Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Saturdays, and one at the Nechaco branch on Wednesdays. Baby Time for those 0 to 11 months runs at 11.30 Wednesday at the Nechaco branch and Thursdays downtown. For the full schedule, check out pgpl.ca. The Prince George Potters Guild is offering a beginner wheel level one course starting Wednesday. The program will run Wednesday and Fridays until December 16th from 6.30 to 9.30 under the instruction of Karen Heathman. The $200 course fee includes four evenings of instruction plus one month of studio time after classes, clay, and the use of the guild's tools and glazing and firing during classes. Students are asked to be able to throw a cylinder before taking wheel level two. For more information and to register, go to studio2880.com slash programs. The Prince George Senior Activity Center is hosting a New Year's Eve dance. Be on hand to ring in 2023 with prizes, fun, and dancing to the sounds of Caribou Thunder. There will also be appy served at 1030. Tickets are just $40 per person but must be purchased in advance by December 22nd. Pick yours up at the center's office Monday through Friday between 9 and 3. That's a New Year's Eve dance at the Prince George Senior Activity Center on 4th and Brunswick. It's after 9 on Prince George's Community Station, 93.1 CFIS-FM. Okay, we're back. And I don't want to lose sight of, of uh, what's happening here because this is a really bad uh, publicity for the city of Prince George. And, and you might even say it's somewhat embarrassing. 
and uh, not necessarily that we deserved it, but we got it now. And it's, you know, that wraparound thing on First Avenue is it had a good start and it was rolling. And then they uh, they stopped it for some reason and they leased the land out for three years and and something went on there and I think it was politicking. I think that uh, these announcements that are going to come out now it's going to be something new and then it'll get started again. But if that's the case, then they set that back maybe a year or so for political reasons. And that's the other part of these issues. We've got to get a lot of the politics out of politics because it's killing us. Didn't, didn't, uh, didn't Pat Bell say that that was an eyesore on First Avenue? I think he said that during the election there. And I think maybe maybe that's what you're getting at there is... Um, well, maybe, it depends. Beauty's in the high of the beholder. I drove by there many times. I didn't see any eyesore. Well, you're, but you're I'll tell you, when I see Pat Bell running off at the mouth like that, that's an eyesore. <laughs> yeah, I, I think we just, we just need to talk about solutions and what we can do. I don't know if necessarily just providing more... Uh, social housing or uh, social services is is 100% the answer. I mean, those are obviously an important part of the puzzle, but I, th- I think we got to step back a little bit and ask, well, well, what do we do with our economy and our society to give people meaning and purpose in their lives? And I think that's kind of, we've lost a lot of that. Everything's getting automated and everything's getting taken over by computers and machines, and we've lost the ability to you know, grow our own food and, and cut our own lumber and, and that kind of thing. So I think I think we've got to provide something for people to do no, to, make, to make it not uh, you know not to make it all complicated but uh, you were talking about that city lot there on fourth avenue earlier today that's right by moxon flats why don't we do something with that land why don't we get like a, a wood miser down there a sawmill let's get uh, some firewood cutting i mean maybe there, there might be some noise issues but we could set up uh you know during the election i talked about getting uh, having a uh, the city help out with getting a wood shop and uh, craft and uh, art center set up where people can go in and make stuff and, and get busy with their hands. And I think uh, as a society, uh, we just rely on everything to be made in China and and we don't do anything to take care of ourselves anymore. And I think what we're seeing with the mental health crisis and the homeless crisis is all just a symptom of that underlying huge problem that we've got to work towards to resolve. Well, I think we also got to take, you know, we got some, uh, I think, mega projects coming down the road and of course you know this is why it's embarrassing because we've got uh, a situation here with homeless people but we got plans with the next four or five years to spend like 150 million dollars on a bunch of recreational stuff a bunch of uh dance of the sugar plum plum fairy stuff and and that's what we're spending our money on while uh people out here are sleeping on the streets. So we need to connect our recreation and spending and everything else with people that are homeless and with some of the problems we have and say, you're not going to be building this stuff unless you do something about this stuff, City Hall. Because the the day of uh, building swimming pools for 900 people that may or may not use it are over, and if they're not over, they should be, unless you're willing to split some of that money with the rest of the city and the rest of the taxpayers within the city. I'm not going to go swimming, but I'm paying for a swimming pool. I'm not walking up at Northern Health Center, but I'm paying for that. I don't play hockey on my, my kids went to swimming pool, you know, 30, 40 years ago. I paid for that swimming pool probably four times over in taxes for the amount of time I used it. So we got to get more people included in this stuff that actually use something. What's in it for me? I don't take the bus, but I pay for the buses. And so does everybody else. 
but when you get to uh, you know you go to uh, the Playhouse Theater or something, and it's only got three or four hundred seats, and you got thirty three thousand houses paying taxes to have a place for somebody to go for three or four hundred seats, yeah, and they probably got an edge on season tickets. I mean, who benefits from this stuff? I don't. I just pay for it, and I'm not happy about it. And I'm not happy with councilors and everybody else says, oh, we've got to have a tax increase because, you know, otherwise we might have problems with snow. I've had it with that issue, too. We've paid for our snow ten times over. We had a mayor that went to China two or three times so they could explain to him how to remove snow, which was beyond <laughs> my comprehension, but that's what we did. So. Herb, you want to say something? Yeah, look, Medicine Hats decided over 20 years ago that they were going to, that the city decided that they were going to make a homelessness thing a thing of the, of the past. And uh, they started a, and it's been a long process. But within 10 years, they had noticeable results. But you got to start somewhere. And that starts with a plan. And it starts with, a, with, a, with an aim, a goal. And uh, we don't have that still. And we, you know, everyone keeps talking about it, but let's see a plan. Let's see the city declare that it wants to end homelessness, and let's um, and let's take some first steps. Let's take some baby steps. Well, I but, think. Uh, the, uh, sorry, Herb, but I think during the, the last campaign, I think they all said they're going to deal with the homeless problem. So we've got to give them enough of an opportunity to see if they're actually going to do something, and uh, and then take it from there. But uh, certainly, they're on record of, uh, of saying they're going to do something about it. And that, uh, you know, don't get me wrong, that thing on First Avenue is the right direction. All I'm saying is that it should be done as soon as possible, get it done, and then carry on from there and do a few more things. And then, you know, then you're on the right track. Just putting it on the back burner while you're building a new swimming pool or skating rink or hockey rink or whatever, that's not a solution. That's and I, I got lots of stories, too, I could tell you about how people get their hands on the money that should be going somewhere else. And uh, it's just a, it's a kind of a natural thing that happens. But uh, maybe it's time to stop. Do we want to be a leader on this? We should, I mean, we see where it's got us so far. <laughs> Nobody's going to be hiring us to look after their city. But, uh, James, you got to say something? Uh, well, I think, I think I'm... I'm I've... Uh kind of gone over my key points um okay peter you gotta no just uh, other than the, the fact that uh united we stand and united we're, we're strong right and i think uh, that's the thing for the community and the, the different sectors of the community involved with the homelessness issue and including the the city and all this that's that's the way to go is to have uh you know, clear, like Herb was talking about, have a plan with some clear objectives that we go to uh, the provincial government and, and fight for them and, uh, uh, you know, get some measures put in, some concrete measures put in place. I think th this is the time to do it, and we, we should do it. Okay, we're going to take a break here. Whether you're downloading ebooks or need a hand with Microsoft Office programs, Tech Help is available at the downtown branch of the Prince George Public Library. Get the most out of your computer, tablet, or other digital device by taking advantage of this free program offered Wednesdays from 2 to 4. Book a 30-minute appointment by calling 250-563-9251, extension 120, between 2 and 4. Tech Help at the downtown branch of the Prince George Public Library. Prince George RCMP are seeking the public's assistance in their investigation of a shooting on Monday, November 14th. 
At about 5.15 p.m., RCMP responded to a call of a possible shooting at the foot of the Blue Staircase at Connaught Hill Park. They attended and found a man in his 20s suffering from a gunshot wound. He was taken to hospital where he later died. Anyone with information on this event is asked to call the RCMP at 250-561-3300. CNC's continuing education has many professional development opportunities available. Become career ready within six months with the Medical Office Assistant Certificate. The Medical Office Assistant is a dynamic and vital role within a medical office team. This highly rewarding career path is currently in demand in B.C. More information is available through continuing education at CNC or online at cnc.bc.ca slash ce. The Medical Office Assistant Certificate course starts January 11th. Registration deadline is December 27th. Forecast from Environment Canada, mainly cloudy with a 60% chance of flurries this morning, a snow beginning later this morning. Wind at the 15K, a high of minus 12, a wind chill this afternoon to minus 19. More snow tonight, a low of minus 14. For Tuesday, snow ending in the morning, then mainly cloudy with a 40% chance of flurries, snow beginning again in the afternoon, wind at the 15K, a high of minus 12 with an afternoon wind chill to minus 18. Featuring the people who make things happen in Prince George. You're listening to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. Okay, we're back, and Peter reminded me of one thing. that you know, City Council has the authority or the power or whatever to appoint people to represent different parts of the city. And this subject's come up before, and I think the new mayor and council should look at it. And we should have a representative maybe that kind of looks after the problem from the hard highway. Another one for College Heights, another one for uh, Spruce Land area up there. And, and so you get you get eight councillors, you get eight areas. Each one of them is responsible for that area so that if you have somebody you want to talk to to find out what's going on, that's your representative for the area you live in, and you go and talk to them, and they'll give you some answers rather than try to wade and find your way through City Hall and the right department, yada, yada, yada. We've got people on the payroll that can answer the questions. And if they can't, they can find out. So, again, somebody might want to think about doing that. James? Yeah, I just uh, wanted to briefly mention something I learned last night, and I probably won't get the chance to uh, talk about this again, but uh, just as one example of kind of how to get people involved in the economy and get uh, get some hands-on hands-on experience is uh, that siding on the new pool uh, I found out is what's called a Kea uh, siding. Now this is a um, engineered wood product made from uh, Pinus radiata and you got to really dig on that website to find out where the stuff's from but this is, these are pine trees grown in plantations in Chile and New Zealand and we brought that all the way to Prince George to put on our swimming pool that we paid for with public money for 40 million dollars Okay, so we've got a wood innovation center here in town that is that we've created with a lot of money, I don't know, tens of millions of dollars, to do exactly the kind of research where we, where we add innovation to our local uh, wood, right? Uh, the question is, why did the city do that? And why don't we have like a buy local policy that maybe is targeted for folks that, that don't have enough work that are, that are you know, living in homeless camps? Why don't we give them good jobs, pay them 30 bucks an hour to go to some of these clear cuts out in the inland rainforest where they got piles of western red cedar, perfect red western red cedar with a little bit of rot in the middle and burn piles getting burnt. Okay, we can get guys out there uh, hauling the stuff out of the piles, get a little wood miser set up, and we could cut up siding for probably hundreds of years worth of paneling to, to 
you know, far longer than the lifespan of that uh, building is expected. And these are just like little ways that we can get people going again with public money. Uh, and I think, you know, imagine all the pride that people would feel in seeing their handiwork on the side of our showcase swimming pool, you know, as opposed to some corporate product from New Zealand. Well, there's other stories that are more hair-raising well, than that, but goes I agree with you 100%. It's just, uh, if you get these, uh, you know, the, the, the swimming pool design on the one on, on, uh, the new one, to me, somewhat jokingly, looks like the entrance to, uh, a, a subway station. That's what it looks like to me. So it just depends. And, and the police station, I have no idea. People look at that in awe and they don't believe it's a police station, you know, or, <laughs> And, uh, like, what's our problem? And I heard that there, I don't know if it's true, but I heard that some of the rocks there that they have inside those glass cages came from Arizona or something. I hope that's not true. But, uh, I mean, don't, don't let a, an architect, an architect run on his own because it'll cost you a fortune. Well, the, the architectural firm that designed that pool, I uh, forget the name, HLK or HMK or something, are from Omaha, Nebraska. Oh, there you yeah, go. They've got 11,000 employees, big global company. And that's who we hired to design and spec out our local pool. Yeah. I don't know how we did it in the old days. Oh, yeah, I do. We had a shovel and a cement mixer. and uh, we, had it yeah. up, but we had it up on Wainwright Street there. We used to climb over the fence at night and swim free <laughs> and then go home and everybody was having fun. <laughs> Those well, days are gone. Well, I don't know. It's just, it just strikes me that we're a city with a university and a college and, you know, a lot of smart people live in this town, and we've got to hire a company from Omaha, Nebraska, to design our swimming pool. Well, maybe that's why we got to raise taxes, because it's costing too much to run the city. I suspect that's part of the plan. Peter, you got something to say? Or maybe, Herb, you better get in on this or you'll fall asleep. Well, I'm just going to say, uh, yeah, I mean, Vanderhoof managed to build their swimming pool for $12 million bucks, and somehow our... Uh, our showcase uh, pool came in at forty million. So, yeah, no, maybe uh, maybe there's something we can learn from Vanderhoof. And they also got some money from the regional district, who don't. Some people will never use the pool. They weren't very happy about it. But uh, well, don't don't forget the Simon Fraser Inn. The, the opportunity cost of replacing that, right? We tore down a perfectly good building to uh, build that pool. Hundred units. I don't know how many units were in that thing, Herb. 120 units or something. Something like that, yeah. It was a nice hotel, actually. I spent Oh, they just renovated it. Yeah. So we're going to finish that one off. And like I said, there's lots on our plate this morning, and we're not going to get through it all. But we do have this uh, uh, assisted dying situation. This looks like it's starting to get out of hand. And uh, Peter's going to start off on that and just give us an overview on it. And I uh, suggest you listen closely because somebody might put you on the list. Uh, yeah, the, well, the assisted dying uh, legislation uh, was uh, brought in 2016, and Canada is one of a handful of countries in the world that uh, actually has this. Uh, and the, in 2021, there was a revision to it, Bill C-7, which um, uh, was was put in. But the, as it stands right now, you have a situation where, uh, you know, what they call track one uh, people who uh, have a reasonable, foreseeable uh, sort of end date in terms of uh, that, that they're going to die. You know, so you have those. And then you have track two, uh, the persons whose death is not reasonably foreseeable, uh, t- but still to have the, the possibility of the medical assisted assistance in dying. And furthermore, 
the re, uh, another revision has a, a situation where, where people suffering from grievous and ir- irremedial mental uh, illness to qualify. The whole problem with this, you know, there's a number of people who are quite concerned about this, is uh, the fact that uh, what's not being taken into account is the pressure that is put on people, you know, in terms of uh, if whether it's social, cultural, or whatever, right, you know, in terms of uh, uh, poverty and, and loneliness and uh, uh, lack of access to facilities and so on. So it's, is it really a, a, a personal choice when people are, are choosing uh, medical assistance in dying? Or, uh, you know, are we looking at a situation where people are uh, put in a situation where the, uh, they, they feel they have no, no hope? And so we have a situation where um, uh, this has come up, like, mo- most recently in the news about uh, uh, disabled uh, ex-military people being advised that they should, they should choose the medical assistance in dying uh, option. You know, so th- this is... Uh, Anyway, a, a direction that uh, we have to be really careful about because when we look at the situation, you know, the, the, the calculations that have been done, uh, like, for example, like the, there was a fiscal report put out by the Canadian government talking about how if uh, bringing in this uh, medical assistance in dying uh, process that... Uh, the cost savings for the federal government could be as much as 140, $149 million a year. Uh, where we're looking at the, the cost for someone to uh, engage in medically assisted uh, dying, that's $2,300 per, per case. You know, so uh, there's financial calculations being done here by government, and it's it's quite cynical. Like when we think about it, right? You know that uh, the, the the purpose of the healthcare system and uh, and and government should be to prolong life as long as possible and make it so that people f- have a real desire to live, not uh, to uh, discourage them, not to uh, push them into uh, you know basically committing suicide. You know. Yeah, it's just. Uh Oh, we're going to go for a break here, and then we'll be right back. The Prince George RCMP is investigating an early morning robbery that took place at approximately 2.30 a.m. on Saturday, November 19th. The victim says he was attacked from behind near Aspica Boulevard and Reed Crescent. Surveillance from a nearby home shows two individuals getting out of a dark-colored, newer-model Chevrolet pickup just before the incident. If you have any information which may be of help in this investigation, please call the RCMP at 250-561-3300. Two Rivers Gallery is excited to present HOPE, a group exhibition showcasing work from artists based in Canada who are culturally connected to South Asia. The exhibition includes work from seven contemporary artists connected by a common consideration of hope, which explore the theme through reflections on identity and celebration of South Asian culture. Hope, guest curated by Sandeep Johal of Vancouver, is on display through February 5th at Two Rivers Gallery, where creativity flows in Canada Games Plaza. During the pandemic, alcohol and drug use increased, and some police services reported an increase in impaired driving that caused heartbreak and devastation. An impaired driver killed my brother DJ, and our family has never been the same. As life returns to normal for many of us, those of us impacted by impaired driving still struggle to cope. Now more than ever, we need your commitment to never drive impaired. 
Let's keep our roads safe so your family won't suffer like mine. A message from Jamie Lynn Hancock of Mad Canada. Creative Space Sunday is continuing at Two Rivers Gallery. Sundays from 1 to 4, drop in for an artful afternoon and let your creativity soar. Each week has a new activity. Come by yourself, with your family, or with friends and join in the fun. It's free for gallery members, Seven fifty for adult non-members. Creative Space Sunday will be off for Christmas Day and New Year's Day. Creative Space Sunday. Join in the fun at Two Rivers Gallery, where creativity flows in Canada Games Plaza. Thank you for tuning in and staying tuned to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. Okay, we're back, and we're going to go to James. He wants to make a few comments on this uh, assisted uh, dying situation. So, Yeah, the thing that really opened my eyes was a few months back when I, when I read about that lady who ended up um, dying because she couldn't find... Uh, adequate housing. She was in social housing and I guess she had allergies to, I think maybe some people were smoking in, in their rooms or something and she needed to get another place to live and the government couldn't provide her with that and she was so, uh, she was at, at such a point of, uh, hopelessness and frustration that she chose, uh, medically assisted, uh, assistance in dying. So basically the state couldn't provide her with a appropriate housing so we paid to kill her, basically. You know, and, and I'm reading this, uh, I read that report that the federal government put out to, you know, add up how much money we're going to save by, you know, offering um, all these people the, the option to die. Uh, you know, it did have the sentence there. This report uh, shows and it, it should in no way be interpret, interpreted whatsoever to mean, you know, that we're adding up the dollars that we're going to be saving from this expanding this program. But, I mean, what else What else are they doing? Um when they when they add this up, it's like a science fiction novel almost. You know, like uh, that uh, the state is is offering people a choice to take their own lives when they're not even you know on their deathbeds or anything, because the social and and uh, conditions that we find ourselves in in a society are, are so hopeless and overwhelming. Now, there's a really good quote in the, that article about this that you sent around, Eric. There, uh, Kerry Bowman. He's a uh, bioethicist and, and conservationist at the uh, University of Toronto, I believe. And, you know, he had a pretty good quote here that, uh, you know, some of the factors that are now driving requests for medical assistance in dying are not medical. They're social, cultural, and political factors. I mean, come on, guys. This this is this is crazy. Yeah, if, if, if your target is to save money, uh, then you should apply the same reasoning to politicians and governments, because... <laughs> there's a a lot of things that could be removed from there and save us lots of money but but it's always supplies just in one direction from the government to us because we're now in that you know situation where politicians whether it's municipal regional provincial or federal actually think that we work for them and have totally got away from the concept that they work for us and and they actually believe that you know, and, and they don't even want to talk to you if you don't agree with what they're saying. Like, where do they get this idea? Like, who are you to talk like that? Like, I'm a politician. I don't know what's best for you. And in actual fact, they don't. If you ask them a skill-testing question, you got them stumped. A lot of them, because they, they never spend any time thinking about the, the real issues on the ground. 
And that's why we're in the situation we're in today, and that's why we've got to get the local municipalities and that to start to do their jobs. And same as between here and Prince Rupert, it's a wasteland out there. Who's looking after that? These towns are dying. Who's looking after it? Who's even talking about it? Not a politician, because that's not good. But you get a ribbon-cutting contest going, and you'll have six of them showing up, professional ribbon-cutters. should have a prize for them, a blue ribbon for ribbon-cutters. Like a, like a Bitcoin mining company in town. Man, all the yeah, people we got that, one, yeah. All the people that came out for that, like... Did they? Oh, there's there's quite a few articles about, yeah, yeah. people were falling over themselves to promote this dying yeah. industry that, uh, yeah. you know, is going to be the, the savior of our town. Like, yeah. Yeah, it's going to create 60 jobs, and most people don't even know it's here. Yeah, that's, that was when Bitcoin was worth $30,000 yeah. in Bitcoin. Just, uh, Herb, you want to say something on that? Yeah, no, I mean, the fact that any public servant would suggest to anyone that they consider dying as a solution to their problems is outrageous and uh, should never be countenanced. And, and uh, um, yeah, it's, it's just totally unbelievable. And, and look, I have limited... Um, uh, uh, first-hand knowledge of, of this uh, procedure. I had a, a neighbor last year who decided to end his life because he had um, a, a terminal uh, condition. He had emphysema and it was getting worse and worse and worse. And, um, you know, he was he was well-liked in, uh, in the building and um, most of the tenants here kept telling him, you know, to reconsider. And, you know, to his credit, he, he had made up his mind and um, uh, he, he kept kept on his path, and um, uh, and look, we know a bunch of tenants uh, went and had a, a last supper with him, and um, and uh, again, you know, he was pretty steadfast, and he wasn't about to switch his um, his decision. So, you know, in, in some in some respects, I think it, it can be a, a good thing. You know, this this gentleman um, had, uh, went out with dignity or, or self dignity, and and. Um, he he had made his decision. He he stuck with it, and um, you know it, it's it, it's obviously a difficult situation for everybody. But um, look, I think on the whole, probably it's um, not not a terrible uh, policy or, or uh, uh, you know something that's that's that's, uh, that's that's there for people to, to consider. But um, yeah, it's got to be used. Obviously, with uh, the utmost uh, regard and um, uh, you know and care, because it, it obviously is open for abuse. Okay, we're just going to uh, give each guy a minute here, and then we're going to call it a day. Peter. Uh, yeah, I think the problem is that you know the the, the broadening of this uh, legislation. You know, to, it's it's too broad in the sense in that sense. You know, when it includes people with mental with mental illness, we all know that mental illness can be temporary. And, uh, you know, why should, uh, like our whole purpose with people with mental illness is to uh, make it so that they can overcome the illness, that they can have a desire to live and participate in society. If someone, yes, has a terminal illness and so on, right, you can see the logic there. But when you broaden it too much, then you open the door to possible abuse by government and all this, you know, to save money and so on. Yeah, I think we just have to be... I think the real eye-opening part here. I agree with Herb. I think there's um, there's obviously situations where where I think made has been a, a good program and and has has uh, reduced a lot of human pain and suffering. But you know, to the point where the government kind of denies service uh, to to such a degree that people have no recourse but to end their own lives. I think that's 
that's the real and then and then the state has legalized that and has even gone so far as to you know calculate the financial benefits of that to the state i think that is that is something that we really need to uh check ourselves on okay that was the program for today i want to thank everybody for uh, listening and uh, thank my panel for coming in and for staying or phoning in I said we had more people, things to talk about than we'd get through, and that turned out to be true. So I'm a soothsayer now. I know how to predict the future. And uh, uh, thanks to uh, Alan for keeping us in line here. And uh, that's it. Talk to you Friday if I'm on. I'm not sure whether I am or not. And or Peter, did you have something to say? No, you said it. So, And uh, then we'll be back on Monday. Thank you. After 9 is a weekday presentation of CFISFM. After 9 is produced by Alan Wishart, Eric Allen, Kylie Lewis-Holt, Trudy Clausen, and Rez Krebs. Executive producer is Reg Fair with technical assistance from Stephen Smith. Theme music is by The Ebbs. For a rebroadcast of today's program, check out the podcast link at cfisfm.ca. To provide feedback or suggestions for the show, please email cfisfm at yahoo.ca. You're listening to CFISFM Prince George, a not-for-profit community radio station broadcasting with 500 watts of power at 93.1 on the FM dial. CFISFM is owned and operated by the Prince George Community Radio Society.